1: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You heard her. Go subscribe.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Caroline K from CarolineK.co, hostess of the Snippets of Genius podcast, business and success coach. If you're a client, show guest, weekly listener, or a friend of mine, welcome back. If you're new to the show, it's great to have you here. And I hope that this show is exactly the insight you've been needing to move the needle on your business idea. In today's show, we're going to talk about how to fail without regret and carve out a strong future for you. We're doing that today with my genius guest, Andros Corin, who has been on the startup journey more than once. He has now carved himself out a role as co-founder and CFO at Debyte. But previous to that, he was a startup consultant, and prior to that, he was the CEO and co-founder of his very own fintech startup, Card. We unpack the big lessons, opportunities, and the enablers that are there to carve out a strong future and to keep moving the needle forward, building the life and business you love. Without further ado, Andres, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, it's really exciting to have you here. Andres, tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. So growing up and becoming a young professional, you're, you're kind of taught that, oh, if you hate your job, you know, leave Mm -hmm. it. But there is, and and that would be a very easy choice. If I, if I had hated my job at JP Morgan, it would have been an easy choice to to leave. But I didn't, I didn't actually hate my job. I I was in that kind of gray zone in the middle where I liked the people I worked with. It was a great, you know, good paycheck. I, I, I was very comfortable in that that job. I wasn't really challenged. I had a young, young family, you know, well, I could find happiness elsewhere, maybe not at work. And leaving that was, was scary. But again, I I weighed up the regret of of not leaving and what I would be leaving, leaving behind. And yeah, I, I jumped. I, I think. I guess. How how old was I when I when I, I made that jump? I, I guess you know, thirty nine. And so I wasn't that that you know, <laughs> college dropout founder. You know, with that I could live my life on ramen noodles and all this. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't like that. And I I, I maybe didn't fit exactly that that stereotypical mold. And the momentum was uh, of building storecard was such that frankly i, I it was it, it it ended up not becoming a choice. I was pushed into that i I, I was propelled into that new stage I guess uh, a, a switch happened during uh, I, I guess maybe seven years into my eleven years at at the bank where I, uh, my second child was born and I took some time off it took about three months of parental leave and it was a time when i just started thinking about what next, really. And I started thinking about the impact that I wanted to have on on the world and also the value I was creating. And I felt, I, I, I liked JP Morgan, I liked the people I was working with, but I, I, I felt I didn't have that impact. So it, it started, the the idea started snowballing to so what ultimately became StoreCard, my FinTech startup that I, I launched in in early 2020. Very much geared towards helping parents manage the financial transition from going from non-parent to, to parent.
1: You actually co-founded Storecard with a mm-hmm. couple of other people, so Denise Lowe and Bruce Panaman. Is that how Panaman, you say his yeah. Name? Yep. So tell us, how did you meet Bruce and Denise? How did that come together?
0: So I, fe- I met Bruce first, and it was so the idea for Storecard in its early days was was a bit different. It was actually uh, providing affordable and flexible financing for childcare, but. During that time, I really developed the idea in my own head and shared that idea with a number of people to see it, it actually, if it had any legs. But then once that that process ended, I knew that I needed to have a partner, just I, I work better in a collaborative environment rather than just kind of on my own. Yeah. And so I went and I knew, and I didn't have the technical skill to actually build this from scratch. So I had the finance, I had the fin, but not the tech. And so I went to these you know, co-founding or co-founder networking events and there was one at the Google campus in, in London and I went up, people were going up on stage for 30 for thirty seconds, giving a, a bit of a, a, a short pitch of what they were looking for. Oh great, so, so it was like speed to, dating to find your
1: crew uh, founder. Uh,
0: totally, and actually they had a big countdown clock with 30 seconds on the back yeah. and people with water pistols on the first row, <laughs> so you were shot if you went over. That's um, brilliant. <laughs> I, I did not get shot, I was very surprised <laughs> that I did not get shot, but anyway, Bruce came up to me afterwards at the... At the networking event. And yeah, we hit it off and then started working together. And then, so he and I built it, built the, the, the platform, took it through regulation, and then ultimately launched it. And at the time of launch, we brought in Denise. Denise has w- worked previously with, with Bruce. And just together, we just really gelled.
1: Amazing. Oh, is, what a brilliant story. And I suppose with any startup, there is that moment where you will have, you feel like you talked about earlier, that snowball moment where you're starting to gain momentum. Could you tell us a bit about that first success for, for you three when you're trying to get stock card off the ground?
0: I mean, I mean, honestly, it was probably, <laughs> so there uh, were well, two to... Two moments. Really, was. there was a long time when we were building while still having other jobs. So that moment that we finally said, okay, this is something that we're going to go into full-time and and launch was was really exciting. Now, that happened to be the first of March 2020. So we had about a week and a half before lockdown happened. (laughs) So it was a glorious week and a half of just, you know, the world, the the future is bright, and we're going to, you know, embark on this new adventure. But then, then COVID hit and, you know, we we were left scrambling a little bit. It was still exciting, but not in the same, you know, imagining the future as a startup founder in a community of all these different founders. And it just it, it wasn't quite there after that that first week and a half. But then the, the next moment that really snowballed was when, and this was a number of months later, when we re- we raised our first amount of money outside of our, our network. So really bringing in someone that heard the pitch, liked the pitch, and decided to give money. That was really a, a, a great confidence booster for us.
1: And I suppose when you were in this creative stage, when you were right at the beginning, early days, thinking about all the different ways that you could build this app, how did you push through those big challenges that came up?
0: It's interesting. So at, at JP Morgan, for those 11 years, I was in risk management. So I, was, so I had over a decade of that risk mentality in the sense of looking at, it's kind of a negative intellectual exercise, looking at the downside and protecting yourself against the downside. Mm-hmm. But it's a very useful skill set, I guess, to to have. But uh, as a founder, you you're, you're everything's downside, right? Everything is. You wouldn't do anything if 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 you only focused on on the downside. You really need to focus on the upside. But yeah. I think that experience that I had allowed me to the, the approach that i took with fear was to play out the worst case scenarios um mm-hmm. so to say okay if this happens and this happens and this happens wh- what's actually the real impact on on me or the business and how can we protect ourselves a- against that uh, or think about what's the probability of those things happening and then if they do happen how can we mitigate against the the negative impact of of those things happening and ultimately You know everything is 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 a risk with with startups, especially early stage startups. And you almost need to have a sense of having that a conversation with the future you and say, okay, have I did uh, have I done the best I could with the information or the resources that I had? Is ultimately what you need to get comfortable with because you ultimately need to forgive yourself because frankly you you do have imperfect information you're lacking a lot of resources and knowledge so you need to forgive yourself for 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 making making those mistakes
1: yeah that's a brilliant one have a conversation with your future you can you give me an example of what one of those conversations was that you had
0: I mean, it was—it's kind of like an ongoing dialogue. Honestly, it was <laughs> a, a lot of little conversations, just saying, "Am I happy with this?" I mean, ultimately, the biggest decision was leaving a comfortable job, you know, like like JP Morgan, and 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 jumping in full time with with an extremely low salary and having the the family pressures and and yeah. all of that with it. To say, "I, I want to make sure that I'm in a position like fear is is okay, but uh, you just don't want to have any." regrets sure. on on what you did and the choices you made
1: so it's brilliant so is that about then weighing up the possibility versus the scale of the regret was that kind of okay like, hey, it could go this way and if i don't do it how much am i going to kick myself for not giving it a try was it that kind of conversation
0: well i had i had a colleague at jp at jp morgan when i was telling everyone i was leaving and he had he had a great comment and he said that oh, you tend to regret the things you don't do rather than th- the things you do. And I was like, oh, well, actually, that really makes sense. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how I feel about this, that I feel that you have to weigh up actually which regret is bigger, yeah. the regret of doing something or not doing something. And the, frankly, the regret of not doing something or not doing this, making this change in, in my career and in my life was bigger than the regret I found of, 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 you know, st- of not doing it.
1: Yeah, brilliant words of wisdom there. Tell us a bit about perhaps one of the most memorable stories you've got during those early days.
0: We had a co sharing space. In in Shoreditch in, in London, and it was this place where uh, there were a lot of entrepreneurs and founders, and everyone helped each other. It was so collaborative. It was this idyllic startup <laughs> environment, right? And that first week, I I cycled there. I've never cycled to work before. It was, it was a <laughs> glorious, you know, there's kind of you know the beginnings of spring, you know, end of end of the winter. The lights out long. You can kind of a little hint of smell of spring in the air. Go there, interacting with a lot of founders. Wonderful environment. I'm like, wow, this is this is my life. This is what my future <laughs> holds. And then, lo and behold, a week later, everyone's in lockdown. <laughs> That's just good prick the the balloon of of that yeah. excitement and a bit of frantic 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 thing of of how how do we move from there but i guess it's maybe not funny haha but it's <laughs> yeah just unbelievable just, yeah, unbelievable things yeah
1: yeah absolutely and one of the you created some amazing successes with stock card i mean you grew and grew you really started helping parents out there i think 20,000 at one point you scaled to helping them navigate the expenditure and investment it is to raise a child and you were doing some amazing work and I know that you went into some investment rounds and you looked at going to the final stages of both the Y Combinator and Techstars which are really really big rounds to get into could you tell us a little bit about um, your experience and what you learned from going to those final stages with those big accelerators?
0: Sure. Yeah. So we, we went to the interview stage at 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 Y Combinator and then the final inter- interview stages at at, at Techstars. And I, I think the process of both of those, what was most helpful was the actual application and interview process itself. It helped us really refine the, the messages and actually the answers that we put down well, it helped the team come together to say, what is the, are we all agreeing about this answer <laughs> that they're asking? We need to be fully aligned, right? So do we all agree? So making sure that the, the team is, has a cohesive vision of where the business is right now and, and where where it's going. But also we use those those answers in our conversations with, with other investors and, and other people. So I think it, it it really helps refine that mess- our messages and the state, current state and future state of our businesses, and also, frankly, it just l- helps us put ourselves in the listener's shoes. So hearing advice on. How to so Y Combinator is a classic example. The, the the interview is is very quick. There's a certain format, and you really need to be prepared for that format of of interviews. So we had some mock interviews with other founders. That helped us. It made us more flexible because we had to adapt our messages for the listeners format. So when we went into other conversations with other founders, we were a lot more nimble and and flexible in in how we were able to convey those messages.
1: When you say it's a quick format, how fast is it?
0: I think it's 10 minutes, if I remember correctly, but it's like, because it, it, they line up all their interviews and it's like 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 okay. minutes, and it's like, it's rapid fire. So you want to make sure that you're not dwelling on on a long answer. You want to make sure that it's short okay, and sweet.
1: Okay, so you can get through as much of the questions and if they've got four lined up for you. Brilliant.
0: Exactly. What about
1: Techstars? How did that differ?
0: Sure. So Techstars was a, sp- a specific program. So it, was, it it explored the interconnect between finance and sustainability. So what we were in that regard, we were looking at StoreCard's proposition as helping not only parents manage what is probably one of the most expensive things that they'll ever do, having a child, but also potentially one of the most environmentally damaging things you'll ever do having a child. And I I found this as well, being a parent, that some of the decisions, parents sometimes get caught up in thinking that there's a trade-off between uh, your wallet and the environment. So, you know, cheaper things, even if it's bad for the environment. And I think actually sometimes you can make choices that actually are, maybe initially more expensive but actually are much more durable okay so it's actually better for the environment so we were we were playing on those angles so really the process itself was good in the sense that it allowed us to think much more broadly of store cards proposition
1: that's so interesting i've never thought of Having a child is damaging the universe. But I'm also kind of thinking, now you've said it, I'm like, oh well, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that comes with kids.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, they are a whole new person, but also taking that into you know to the side, you you buy a lot of stuff that frankly gets thrown out or they grow out of immediately. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Makes sense. So will you take you've intrigued me now, piqued my curiosity. Did you take people on a bit of an educational journey about navigating Parenthood, above and beyond the financial side, which is what obviously store card was.
0: So this the TechStars experience was towards the end of the store card mm-hmm. journey. So that's where we would have liked to have taken okay. it, even though we didn't get into TechStars. Actually, we were the process really like you piqued our curiosity, and we thought that there was really a, a path there. But unfortunately, we just weren't able to. We weren't in a position to to pivot in such a way to really take advantage of it. I mean, it's uh, the startup journeys, basically balancing those two forces of being followed and peaked of your you know, p- piquing your curiosity, but also making sure that at least you're structured <laughs> in where you go and don't fall into rabbit holes.
1: Absolutely. And you sort of mentioned there that obviously Stork Card was on a really whirlwind journey that you guys went on for a couple of years. And then after this period, you actually made it, that decision to stop progressing further with Stalk Card. You'd had an amazing experience. You had a lot of learnings from it and you decided to pivot. Can you tell us a bit about that pivot?
0: It was a, a tough decision because everything is personal in, in as a as a early startup and as as a founder, but um, when frankly our par partners, our investors, um, they were very understanding because they knew we, we were honest with them throughout the process and making sure that they knew that we really tried our, our best to to take it off the ground. So what I've learned really is that enthusiasm is a double edged sword in 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 the startup world. I made a lot of a lot of mistakes, typical mistakes. I don't think again all about forgiving your, your, the mistakes that you, that you made, but I learned from them. And I think that enthusiasm was one of those things where enthusiasm is great. It gets you up in the morning. It carries you through the the peaks and troughs of of startup life, and it remains you keeps you committed to to, to that goal and that vision that you want to want to achieve. But also enthusiasm. Maybe lets you, it kills the, or makes it very hard to have discipline in in your narrative and how you're pitching your idea to to others. So a problem that we had was that we had we saw all the the possibilities of of store card, and we wanted to tell everyone about the, all the possibilities and how, where this could grow, grow to. And the next, how this, we're talking about this big vision that we're, we're, we're doing and people saw that we were excited, but they were left a bit confused as to, okay, so what exactly are you doing right now? Or what exactly is the state of the business? And so what we found ourselves that we would pitch and we would get the person that we're speaking to excited about the idea. But the moment that they had to then talk about that idea to their partner or to, their friend, or to their investment committee, we lost them because they said, "Oh, well, what was the story again?" They, you know, they, they lost the the narrative. The narrative that we were we were pitching didn't survive the game of telephone that it needs to. You know, a simple narrative is a compelling narrative that can be carried on from person to person to person. And and our enthusiasm was was complicating that, that that narrative a bit too much. So we we really worked hard in in narrowing that down and making it a lot a lot more crisp. But it it, it definitely, in the early days, I I definitely think we we, we made mistakes. Oh, but
1: that's such a great learning and a wonderful piece of advice, if not the snippet of genius from this episode, to tell people that, you know, having enthusiasm is absolutely has its place and keep it going. But when it comes to pitching, you've got to make it land. They've got to be able to retell that story again and again, absolutely know your points of strength.
0: Exactly. And I think it's about, it's really channeling. So it's not stopping enthusiasm because you definitely do not want to stop enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. but you want to channel it in in the most productive way fantastic
1: tips and tell me one thing you're really excited about right now
0: yeah so well with the agtech company that I'm working with they're going to soon be raising their series a and frankly if you if if you haven't heard of them Mutrol is going to be I think a game changer in the sustainability space.
1: What What are the big things, if you could say sort of three big significant changes that maybe you've seen over the past few months as you're gearing up for Series A, has it just sort of been a gentle progression or have you seen big shifts to get you ready to go up to that Series A funding?
0: I think what I've noticed just in terms of just broadly speaking about Series A and and Seed is that Seed is very, it's very founder focused and team focused and and a bit on product but it's very team focused and series a you really need to have your your information organized you need to be super organized for for series a you need to have your data room ready to go ready to answer the, the questions from from investor that there is that organizational element that you need to to have locked away whereas seed you could kind of just you know, play it by ear. Series A, absolutely not. You really need to be organized. And is
1: that about your systems, processes, internal structure? Is that about you basically having all of your, all your ducks in a row, in the best sense of the word, to be able to scale at the pace that you'd need to once you've got that level of investment?
0: Yeah, I don't think you need to have all the answers off the bat. You need to just have you need to uh, what you need to organize is what you know and what you don't know or what you will find out and how you will find that out so if you what you know is what your product is what it's doing the traction that it has having all that information organized and ready to go what you don't know or what you think is what will happen in the future so that's having your projections your model all ready to go answering the question easy to understand but this is your vision of the future and then having a path to say, okay, I don't, there are certain risks or certain things that will be done as part of this round. And this is my plan to achieve it. So with the money that you're going to give me in series A, I will be able to achieve A, B, C, D. Okay. So having that, that very structured approach to those different categories of, of categories of information is, is key for that series. So.
1: amazing what's wonderful insight for our listeners thank you so much for sharing that okay finally i've got some quick fire round questions for you andres what are the best resources that have helped you along the way to get you to where you are now
0: in the early days it was this podcast called startup where gimlet media start startup it was very good in the sense of i had no background on on startup life and it was very it was very meta because the the the, the host is also building his own podcasting startup. So I, I kind of like that.
1: And tell us one piece of leadership advice, being a CEO that you wish you'd known earlier or is just so awful you need to warn us.
0: So I'll say a good piece of advice. And so I, I've been watching Ted Lasso on, on Apple TV and there's a fr- there's a quote there that, that, I forgot which character says it, but he said, all people are different people. And I, we find ourselves, I think human beings, to make sense of the world, we try to put people into buckets and categorize people because it simplifies the complexity of the world. But I think the assumptions, so many times the assumptions we make about people before getting to know them really limits our the impact that we could have uh, on people. So really recognizing that, frankly, okay, all people are different people. You should just kind of treat them with a blank slate and 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 not rely on, on hard-coded assumptions is the way to go.
1: Brilliant. Okay. And what is the hard lesson you've learned in your business?
0: It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to get right. And that's kind of goes into uh, forgiving yourself for, for mistakes. It's ex- incredibly uh, hard. And I think we, uh, I went into it with these, Oh well, a good idea is good enough, and a good idea should be good enough.
1: Brilliant! I love the dream. That was excellent. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, I I think that dream can come true, and it will one day in your future. Sure. I can see it. And tell us, if you had, you know, a bit of a tough day, is there a music track that lights you up and makes you feel you can take on the day?
0: Well, it's interesting you use the word dreams because I've been on a Reese Fleetwood Mac kick. So honestly, I've been listening to that their Rumours album. So the chain on uh, the Rumours album is is a good one.
1: Thanks ever so much. Well, thank
0: you for having me again.
1: And that's a wrap. I hope. That burst of inspiration and motivation you need to start building the business you love. Do check out every episode's show notes for links to these fabulous companies these superstars are building. If you have a question you'd like to ask, you are invited to come and join all of us from this series over on LinkedIn and the Snippets of Genius community. And finally, if you haven't already subscribed, get on over to your preferred podcast platform, search and subscribe to Snippets of Genius, and get every episode sent directly to you. Thanks so much for listening. Speak to you next week.
0: This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.